1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Monday, November the 21st, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On November 21st, 1980, 87 people died in a fire at MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Today, in 1789, North Carolina became the 12th state to ratify the U.S. Constitution, Today, in 1967, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Air Quality Act. That was the beginning of the Great Society debacle, among other things. Today, in 1973, President Richard Nixon's attorney, J. Fred Buzzhart, he revealed the existence of an 18-and-a-half-minute gap in one of the White House tape recordings related to Watergate. And today, in 1980... An estimated 83 million TV viewers turned in to watch the CBS primetime soap opera, Dallas. They wanted to find out who shot Jr. one of the largest non-Super Bowl uh, viewerships in history. 83 million people. That's amazing. Nearly three, this is amazing too, nearly three quarters, 71% of Democrats now say that President Biden could win if he runs for another term, a second term in the White House, 2024. They say he's doing a great job. This is according to a new USA Today isthmus poll. I can't imagine that anybody thinks he's doing a good job. Every time you stop at the gas station or every time you walk through the grocery store, you get slapped. And you are reminded, this isn't the way it used to be, and this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We can do better than this. But yeah, 70, 71% of Democrats, not that's not the general public, but they say, yeah, he's doing a great job. We'll vote for him if he runs again. The share of Democratic uh, voters who believe Biden can win the next presidential election jumped 11 points from August. In August, only 60%. Expressed at least some confidence, some not very much, but at least some confidence in Biden. Now it's seventy-one percent. The sky's the limit for this guy. Well, I don't know. I, I guess the I guess the, the 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 hope for America is is rather low in the minds of these people. I don't know. I I just it seems to me that anybody aside from their political affiliations would want a better life if they know it's available here in America than what we're having right now with a president that can't – I mean, he really can't connect his sentences or even his words many times. And with inflation out of control, crime out of control, and on and on and on, They're saying he's doing a great job, and they would re-elect him. They would vote to re-elect him. I don't know. I'll leave that one with you. You can think about that for a while. Maybe not. Let's forget that. Let's none of us think about that for a while. Senior Vice President of the Christian Medical Group, a group that I am affiliated with. Not not affiliated, but formally, but I really believe in what they're doing, and we support them financially each year. Uh, So I, I have some connection in that respect Um, but they're sounding the alarm over a a pledge that incoming medical students made at the University of Minnesota. They had to recite this group of medical students that were coming in. Uh, They're the class of 2026, but they held their white coat uh, ceremony, and uh, the pledge that was recited by the students included references. These are medical. These are going to be doctors. I mean, they're, they're nearing their... Going into practice uh, and getting you know certified and educated and so on, and they, the students, the the pledge they had to to recite included anti-racism, anti-advocacy or climate advocacy, and cooperation with political and social systems. Here's what here's the part of the pledge. I'm gonna I just got to share this with you. Maybe this doesn't strike you like it does me, but man, I thought what in the world. Here's what these doctors, the the, uh, the in their white coat ceremony, class of 2026 at University of, of uh, Minnesota, and it isn't just there. I learned after I saw this, I learned that this same pledge or a, a form of this is being used in other medical schools as well. But here's what they say. We commit to uprooting the legacy. These are doctors. They're, they're going to be seen people like you and me, when we have a cold or whatever. They said, We commit to uprooting the legacy and perpetuation of structural violence deeply embedded within the healthcare system. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. As we enter this profession, we... With opportunity for growth, we commit to promoting a culture of anti-racism, listening, and amplifying voices for positive change. We pledge to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine. Knowing that health is uh, intimately connected to our environment, we commit to healing our planet and communities. Man. Man. That portion of the pledge was preceded by an acknowledgement that the University of Minnesota is located on traditional, ancestral, and contemporary lands of Native Americans, including the, um, this one tribe, I don't know how to pronounce that, but the others are Dakota and Northern Cheyenne regardless of, of, of all this, is Dr. Jeff Barrows. He's Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. As I said, they're really, that's a good group, and I've worked with them in the past, and uh, we support them uh, with an annual gift, just Marjorie and, and I do. But anyway, he's, he's alarmed that the students had to pledge to honor all these indigenous ways of healing. He says, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to take medicine back a thousand years here in the United States with these indigenous groups, and and what they're doing? He also warns that more than likely other medical schools will implement this oath and and uh, other ones similar to it. Well, I looked into it after I read this and saw his comments. I don't know this particular person, but I I saw his comments and so I looked into it and he is right. They are using similar forms of this kind of a of a pledge. For to become a doctor. He said, I'm certain that the University of Minnesota will not be the only school to adopt this. He said, I'm sure there will be others in certain progressive parts of the country that will adopt this as well. But I think that overall there will be people who will see the danger of taking on this wokeism. He, uh, he said wokeism is, 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 uh, is found in many of our institutions. And according to the uh, U.M. Medical School's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, its mission, quote, will only be achieved through embracing and nurturing an environment of diversity, inclusiveness, equal opportunity, and respect for the similarities and differences in our community. University of Minnesota isn't the only medical school infected by progressivism, but uh, Reported, American Family reported in July that a sizable number of income, incoming medical students at the University of Michigan exited their White Coat semina- uh, c- uh, ceremony in protest over the featured speaker at the event. The speaker was a professor of medicine at the school who is a committed Christian and avowed pro life activist. So now doctors in training are reacting, walking out on speakers who are Christians or they're pro-life. I'm not sure, I mean, I don't know where this is going, but it's not a good place, I'll tell you. Will these doctors walk out on pro-life patients now if they discover somehow that you're a Christian? You come in to see a doctor because you have some medical condition, and they discover or they know through some source that you're a Christian? Or that you're just pro-life? Are they going to walk out on you and say, no, I'm not going to treat you? I mean, honestly. Well, Gary, you're overstating. I don't think so. That's where these kinds of things go. And that's, unfortunately, that's the world we live in today. It's really sad that this is happening in the way that it is. But, you know, it, it just, we come to these points in our life, and we come to these points in our Collective life here in the United States and we just have to ask ourselves, you know, what what are we thinking? I mean, what are we doing? And then when we hear this about the doctors and we hear all of this, we have to take a deep breath and we have to know that God is in control. And the psalmist says in Psalm 147 3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. We have the Great Physician as our ally, as our Savior, the Messiah. He is the Great Physician, and God is in control. He heals the broken heart, and he binds up the wounds. That's where we have to look today, because our world is offering less and less hope all the time. Our hope, of course... It's in Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's really sad. But there is a better day coming. It's coming. I believe, I believe there's going to be a pushback. I thought there'd be a greater pushback in this last election. I really did. Uh, and a lot of people did. But it just didn't materialize for, for a number of reasons, which I'm not going to get into that today. Maybe another day we'll talk about that. But I, it just didn't happen the way a lot of people thought it would, and, and some say the press overhyped it because they wanted the expectations to get so high on for conservatives, Republicans and whomever, but conservatives, and to get the expectations pumped up so high, and the media did do that that there would be a tremendous letdown when it didn't happen, even though it wasn't going to happen in the first place. And that could have been the, – the media could have tricked the public in, in general because they do it every day, and that they could have set it up a little bit. But some things are not hyped and not misrepresented. They are what they are. And I'm going to talk to you about one of those situations today. Nancy Pelosi announced last Thursday that she was stepping down, not from the House of Representatives – But stepping down from the speaker of the house. The next day, Hakeem Jeffries wrote a letter to his colleagues in the house, and he said he is stepping up. He wants to be speaker or the leader of the Democratic Party. He wouldn't be speaker of the House now because the Republicans have control of it. But should the Democrats regain control at some point, and they intend to two years from now, and he makes that ultimately clear in his statements. But he, uh, and he says he has a way to get there. But for now, he would be the leader of the minority of the Democrat in the uh, House of Representatives. This guy, Hakeem Jeffries, he's a Democrat from New York. As Nancy Pelosi has stepped down, he has stepped up. He is emerging as a top candidate to take her position, and he's emerging as a top candidate among – he has the confidence of a lot – if not all of the Democrats, I don't know about all of them, but a lot of them, he has their confidence, and in the, I think he's, I think they're going to elect him or vote for him and elect him, um, his colleagues, to lead the Democrats. That's why I want to talk about him today because he is a a person that we need to be aware of because it gives you a sense of where the Democrat agenda is going in the culture today. So I want to talk to you a little bit about him, and I think, I think it's worthwhile. I generally don't talk about people at this level, I mean, because he isn't there yet, but I, I'm pretty sure they're going to elect him, and we should know what he's about. And it, it, it should be concerning. It's a matter of prayer. No question about that. I want to thank you for your support of this ministry. We would not be here, we couldn't be here without it, and each month we look at our budget, and we look at our <laughs> how much is going out and how much is coming in, and we have to make decisions on that uh, each month. So thank you for standing with us, and thank you for your support. I, in your prayers and your comments, they mean so very much to us. And um, I feel very strongly about this. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't. I feel the Lord really put it on my heart to do this daily program, and so we are to the best of our ability. Thank you. For your support, we need it. Our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, 98009. You can go to our website, Faith and Freedom, faithandfreedom.us, and you can find a tab there to contribute. And again, thank you so much. Pelosi is 82 years old now. And uh, she announced Thursday, as I said, she'll be stepping down from her role as leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives. On Friday, 24 hours later, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, he sent a letter to his Democratic colleagues asking them for their support for the position of House Democratic leader. He's represented, he's 52 years old, he's represented New York's Brooklyn-based 8th congressional district since 2012. He served as the chair of the House Democratic Caucus since 2019. Before going into politics, he worked as a corporate lawyer and as a state lawmaker. Should he get the support he's asking for, he will become the first African-American to lead a political party in the U.S. Congress. And I'm sure the Democrats want to have the first African-American person to lead a political party in the U.S. Congress, because that's very important to them. And it's great. But more importantly, what does he believe? In what direction will he lead the Democrats in the House? They do represent half the country. Is he more or less progressive than Nancy Pelosi? And then we have to look at the question, does he share the the beliefs of his uncle, who is a professor, who is dangerously off the page, he is kind of a carbon copy of Pastor Jeremiah Wright, the Obama's pastor, until they ran for political office. I want to talk about at least four things that I we should know about this guy because he'll be working behind the scenes, and he'll probably be effective. He's very skilled. He's a good communicator. He called Trump. He's an election denier, by the way. They have so branded any Republican that, that questions the elections, you know, as almost like a leper in the olden days, when the leper would have to go outside the city, and if someone came near them and they didn't see them or something, they would have to call out, unclean, unclean. I think that's how they would like anyone who um, who questions an election, the integrity of an election, they would like them to be labeled almost like a leper. Uh, of the old, like so, nobody would want to associate with them or get close to them or even talk to them because they are so far off the page. And what horrible thing! How could they uh, even question democracy? And if they question democracy, they're fighting against democracy and so on. Anyway, <laughs> news of Republican election deniers losing their bid for elected office has dominated the headlines for weeks, but now they're about to appoint or elect someone to lead the Democratic Party who's an election denier. The term election denier has been used to describe anybody. It's like an outcast. The legacy press has labeled anyone who questions an election a denier and therefore an outcast to progressive ideology and the enemy of democracy. So now they're considering this new House leader who is a denier. Actually, the Democrats have raised questions about the authenticity of a number of elections just as a body they've done this but the press doesn't cover it but this guy has kind of led the parade and especially in regards to Donald Trump but the democrats have raised questions about the authenticity of a number of elections including 2000 2004 and 2016 i did a little digging into this yesterday and i found that they've been pretty vocal about it and especially this guy this jeffries but uh uh, yeah. All of these these elections, 2000, two, 2004, and 2016, were ones where Republicans prevailed. Jeffries was one of several Democrats to suggest that former President Donald Trump, who won the 2016 presidential election, was not a legitimate president. In, in early 2018, Jeffries tweeted, quote, The more we learn about the 2016 election, the more illegitimate, all in capital letters, the more illegitimate it becomes. The tweet reacted to a Washington Post article announcing the indictment of 13 Russians accused of interfering in the 2016 election. Well, there were Russians that were accused of interfering in the 2016 election. Anybody can accuse anybody of anything, but the Russians always try to interfere with our election. That wasn't even the point. But the news media skipped the real point of that particular situation, where they they, they were tying the 13 Russians to, to, to Trump. And in the end, all of this millions of dollars and two years of investigating found out, and they admitted, I mean, they reported, that Trump wasn't connected to these Russians. But they don't care, as long as they can say 13 Russians were accused of interfering in the 2016 election. Well, you know, I can be accused of driving on the wrong side of the road when I'm in England or whatever. I mean, you can be accused of anything. And that's how the news media builds their stories, and that's how the left, the progressive, so-called, that's how they build their stories as well. So that that happened in 2016, and um, (laughs) he said, this Jeffries wrote, America deserves to know whether we have a fake, all capital letters, fake president in the Oval Office. And he had a um, he had a hashtag Russian inter- hashtag Ru- Russian interference in September of 2018. Jeffries, this guy, took to Twitter to outline what he viewed as the shortcomings of the Republican Party, which included what he described as the propensity to cheat. All in capital letters, the lawmaker cited 2016 election Russian interference as an example of the party's cheating. But again, there was no Russian interference that was connected to Donald Trump. I'm not defending Trump. I'm just defending the truth. He wasn't connected to Russia because they did their best to find even a tidbit of something they could pin on Trump that he was connected and somehow Russia was working on his behalf behind the scenes. It just simply wasn't true. Their own people. After, as I said, spending millions of dollars, said no, there was no connection. In November of 2020, shortly after the 2020 presidential election, Jeffries directed a tweet at Trump saying, History will never accept you as a legitimate president. That's kind of where he's coming from (laughs) regarding Donald Trump and anyone else who's conservative because he also has called pro-lifers yahoos and extremists. Last year, after Texas implemented a ban on abortion after six weeks' gestation, Jeffries again indicated that the U.S. House would pass the Women's Health Protection Act that would codify the right to abortion established in the now overturned 1973 Roe v. Wade decision into federal law. That's the same thing that President Biden has been saying. So this guy is saying it. He's 52 and very capable. Apparently, 71% of the Democrats think Biden is very efficient and effective as well. But Jeffrey said women across America should have the freedom to make their own reproductive health care decisions, adding that the legality of abortion shouldn't be determined by a bunch of yahoos in Texas and a negligent Supreme Court. Extremist. Has he distanced himself, though, from his controversial uncle and his double-mindedness? This guy seems to have a reputation in his hometown, his home area of New York City. He seems to have a reputation of kind of walking both sides of the fence. I know a lot of politicians do that. Most of them do that, unfortunately. But a local addition, I just happened to find this. I was just doing a little research because I wanted to talk to you about him. It, because he's not in isolation. All the people in Congress are very important and they represent us and they supposedly represent us in their voting, the people that elect them in their district and so on. But this guy he's on to bigger things. And I, if he even if he doesn't become the head the, the leader of the of the Democrat Party in Congress, he'll keep trying. He's going to have influence. He is a younger, more aggressive, even Barack Obama type. In Fort Greene and Clinton Hills, that's a part of the that's a neighborhood in which he lived. The New York Times puts out a lot of different newspapers, and they localize them. But it's also it's coming from the New York Times. But they have local names like like South Hill and Spokane or whatever. So Fort Greene and Clinton Hill's likely new congressman. they said in 2012, Hakeem Jeffries has spent a lifetime straddling two worlds. These are the people that know him best. He's a product of Brooklyn Public Schools, but he now champions religious and charter school education. That's what they were saying in 2012. As it turns out, he doesn't champion that at all. Not at all. But he was trying to relate to some of the religious people, so they'd vote for him. Catholics, I think, for the most part. But his roots are working class, this newspaper, local version of the New York Times says. His, his roots are working class, but he later walked the hallowed halls of our nation's elite educational institutions. His uncle was a radical black nationalist from a take-no-prisoners era, yet he, was fashioned, he has fashioned himself as a centrist dealmaker who listens a lot more than he talks. I would add that a profile titled Schooled in Hate compiled by the Anti-Defamation League, illustrates some of the anti-Semitic commentary made by Professor Jeffreys, his uncle, over the years. Jeffries, who formerly served as the chair, this is Leonard Jeffries, who served as the chair of the Black Studies Department at the City College of New York, told one of his classes in April of 1990, quote, rich Jews financed the development of Europe. They also financed the slave trade. The following summer, the New York Post reported on remarks made by the professor at the 1991 Empire State Black Arts and Culture Festival in Albany, New York. At the event, uh, Professor Leonard Jeffries reiterated his comments, tying rich Jews to slave trade and described Hollywood as the site of a Jewish-dominated conspiracy that systematically denigrates blacks. He also referred to then Assistant U.S. Secretary of Education Diane Raffich as the ultimate, supreme, sophisticated, debonair racist and a Texas Jew. And it goes on and on and on. I don't have time, but you get the point. So, Hawking lives in two worlds. That's the Hawking Jeffries story. His own hometown newspaper said that of him, and they know him best. So is he anti-Semitic like his uncle? Will he lead the Democrats in that way? They already lead that way. I guess it all depends on what world we're talking about. There's more, but it appears that this man may well be the next leader of the House Democrats. He would be Speaker of the House should the Democrats regain control. I hope and pray they don't. But if they do, he would be Speaker of the House. I guess you have to ask yourself, where is this guy going? How would he lead half the country? It all comes down to a matter of which side he happens to be on at any particular given time. And unfortunately, that's that's the world we live in, in our political arena today. That's why it's so important that God's people are informed. And we know what's going on so we can pray and act efficiently. Hey, thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.